What's up, everybody? I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. We're from Millennial Politics, and we want to tell you about an awesome company called Tomga Designs. Tomga is a new sustainable fashion brand that was started by a couple of aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick of Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. Fashion is one of the dirtiest industries, and our friends at Tomga are leading the charge to make it cleaner. Basically, they're great people doing great work, and when you buy their stuff, you can look good and help save the planet at the same time. Just go to www.tomgadesigns.com and use the code MP15 at checkout for 15% off. I'm a big fan, and I'm always getting compliments on my Tomga stuff. Seriously, go take a look. My wife, Arielle, loves their designs. We think you'll like them, too. Again, that's TomgaDesigns.com. Use the code MP15 at checkout for 15% off. All right, and now to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And we're from Millennial Politics. And we're joined today by Ahmed Baba, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Rant Media. Thanks for coming on, Ahmed. Oh, no problem. Thank you for, uh, for having me today. Of course. Our pleasure. Um, before we dive into the news of the day, and there sure is a lot of news, um, can you just kind of tell us a little bit of background of who you are, what you do, and uh, how you got started with Rant? Rant Media is a publication we've been around for um, a little over a year now um, on the news end before we were a, a social uh, networking app where you could discuss the news of the day, before we decided to launch our own um, online perspective on what was going on, because we could really see that uh, during the 2016 election, the coverage was really, really muddled with uh, false equivalency, both sidism. So we decided to launch our own publication right before we were going to, you know, focus a little on media criticism and then Trump won, <laughs> kind of changed our plans a little bit. So, you know, over over the year, we've we've really we've really grown an audience and um, uh, our style of coverage is really in-depth, uh, contextualized analysis. Uh, we've done some investigative work and um, as well as tracking the moves of the Trump presidency. So what we've really done is just try to report in a way that uh, the people can see how each issue affects them. It's put in perspective and because I think that facts without context aren't nearly as useful as uh, facts with uh, analysis and explanation of how they uh, how, how these issues affect you. And that, that's really what uh, what our, the core of, of rent media is, as well as trying to promote, you know, human rights and, and the values that that we believe are important to America. And one of the things that caught my attention, right after Trump was inaugurated, uh, there were a lot of pieces about the forgotten Trump voter or profiles of you know, the, the, the common American man or the forgotten people. Um, but you guys actually went around and interviewed Hillary Clinton supporters, and, and that was uh, kind of a, a breath of fresh air in the media landscape. So, so thanks for doing that. I really enjoyed the, that piece. Oh yeah, no, no problem, and, th- and thank you for uh, for for bringing that up because that was one of our uh, you know proudest pieces. Just because, uh, like you said, that you know the New York Times and you know CNN and uh, we would see endless panels and, and in depth profiles of these voters, um, and it was always the same. Let's uh, check back in, see what uh, see how they feel about Trump, and it was always the same. They they support him still, and there was nothing new learned from that. And we wanted to cover the voice of the 
the people who, you know, supported the person, first female um, candidate of a major party who won three, you know, three million plus or about three million more votes than he did. So we wanted to hear their voice and it was it really turned out great. We surveyed like 1500 of them and um, it, it brought together a really uh, moving story that that uh, we, we were happy to tell. All right, let's go ahead and turn to uh, some of the news of the day. What's going on with this Russia stuff? Uh, there's so much going on here, but really there there has been the release of this Nunes memo. It really feels like obstruction of justice is, is happening in plain sight. But when you look at the coverage that this is getting, um, I'm not sure it's being given the, the appropriate coverage, but I'm curious what, what you both think about that. Well, uh, I agree. It, it's definitely... Um appears to be obstruction of justice in plain sight. So um, just to just to briefly, you know, touch on what, what it what it is in a nutshell, I like to start here um, with the fact that, you know, the person who oversaw crafting this memo um, was Devin Nunes, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He was also on the Trump transition. Now, the House Intelligence Committee and the Russia probe in general is supposed to be uh, you know, the Trump transitions an operation that's a component of that investigation. So there's a reason he was recused before it and and that and i feel like if that was brought up up front in the coverage it would show the intent that it's arguable that he's trying to undermine the investigation into himself it's just this is just yet another attempt in the series of endless attempts by this administration along with the house gop to not only undermine this russian investigation but our faith in u.s institutions i mean i'm wondering how you could maybe advise our listeners a little bit with so much that's constantly happening. How do you figure out what is sort of the most important things to pay attention to in this story and what maybe are things that you don't need to focus on? You can tell uh, when Trump is trying to start a narrative um, and take you down a rabbit hole. Um, that's not the one you're supposed to be going down. Like when he will talk about unmasking or like right now um, they want the, you know, the media and the press to be talking about the uh, FISA court and, they want you to be focused on these various things. But during this whole week with this Nunes memo, while we were all focusing on this, Hope Hicks, um, there, it was revealed that she had said, um, you know, that potentially, you know, those emails that that cited the Clinton dirt Trump Jr. had had sent would never get out. And she was and she was kind of almost, uh, you know, complicit in obstruction of justice. That's what some people would argue. There's there's that component as well as just the other news that, that occurs on a daily basis of um, Rick Gates, his lawyers, his lawyers recently left. Now, that's something people should pay attention to, because he also he, he kept and retained a, a lawyer who focuses in plea agreements. Now, you can look at this stuff in the background and always on whenever Trump's acting up and doing extra attempts to obstruct when he's tweeting more, there's always, you know, a direct correlation with Robert Mother's moves or some investigation in the background so whenever trump's being loud you can analyze and debunk what he's doing like this nunez memo but then you can look in the background and say hey maybe rick gates uh might be might be about to put put some added pressure on manafort which could end up putting some added pressure on trump you know things like that and from a strategic perspective you know we we just witnessed trump's first state of the union and within a couple days he willingly shifted the story to focus on the Nunes memo, which in my mind doesn't, it's not very strategic because here you have this State of the Union speech with, you know, I think it had over 45 million viewers. And, and instead of letting that run its course in the news cycle, 
they released this bogus memo and now everyone's talking about obstruction of justice again. It's, it's one of those things that just doesn't seem very smart to me. Um, and one of the things I'm, I'm looking at uh, the cheat sheet guide that, that you all put together over at Rant Media, um, and you put out a list of Trump associates who are subject um, to the Mueller investigation. And I'm just going to quickly read them off here. You have former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, former advisor Carter Page, former advisor Roger Stone, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, White House senior advisor and Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner, John Donald Trump Jr., and of course, President Donald Trump. And that doesn't include George Papadopoulos, who has already uh, pled guilty, and then Rick Gates as well. So all of these folks in a relatively lean campaign um, are subject to investigation from Bob Mueller. Um, at what point do we say that there is more than smoke here, there is fire? Uh, well, I'd say we, we're way past, uh, uh, past that point because to, to be honest, um, yeah, and the ones you read off, that, that was one of the, uh, we hadn't updated it yet since the Papadopoulos. I wrote a separate piece after that. But um, yes, uh, I mean, one could argue even before uh, these, when it comes to collusion, if you look at the dirt, um, Hillary Clinton, dirt on Hillary Clinton request, you know, everyone says, oh, no evidence of collusion. Even, even media parrots that. But when it comes to collusion specifically, if you look at these repeated contacts, the fact that Donald Trump Jr. responded, I love it, when said, uh, here's some Russian help. Um, and you have Papadopoulos trying to set up these meetings with high-level uh, Trump officials um, aware of this, who he, whom he then pleaded guilty about it. You have uh, Michael Flynn, who pled guilty as well. These are actual guilty pleas. You, know, you can't call the investigation a witch hunt if you have people admitting to um, having having done some wrongdoing. So there's that. And then over the course of the year, there is just dozens of, of contacts, meetings with between Trump officials. So when it comes to the collusion front, um, you can at least say there was attempted collusion. And on obstruction of justice, the, the, the pile is just, it's enormous. And it's really over, it's almost overwhelming to argue that um, there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that is on Bob Mueller's side in regards to whether or not Trump obstructed justice, and I haven't even touched on um, the, the history of money laundering that is in the uh, the Trump uh, family. Well, well, let's focus a little bit on obstruction of justice here, um, because, like you said, the, the case is getting stronger by the day. Um, Donald Trump approached James Comey um, and asked him to pledge loyalty to him. When he didn't, uh, he was fired. Donald Trump approached Rod Rosenstein, the acting attorney general, um, in the Trump-Russia probe and said, are you on my team? Um, again, seeking loyalty. Um, Donald Trump approached the acting FBI director, Christopher Wray, and said, who did you vote for in the 2016 election? I mean, all of these questions are pointing to, are you going to be loyal to me? And if not, I'm going to have to do something about it. So yeah, you're right, Nathan. I mean, what occurred was his typical line of qualification for working for him, essentially. Uh, number one, loyalty inquiry. Uh, that doesn't go well. He tries to discredit you or publicly attack you like he did with McCabe. And then if that, you know, af after that public uh, campaign goes down and he starts to uh, build his base against you, then he'll fire you. And that's and that's and those uh, those components don't even touch on the fact that 
he was aware, McGann, after he was warned by Sally Yates in, in late January 2017 about Michael Flynn's lying, um, about the characterization of the Kislyak calls about Russian sanctions, um, Trump, McGahn told Trump, so Trump, there's like a key component that Trump was aware that Michael Flynn had lied and misrepresented these uh, contacts, and then he still asked Comey to back off Flynn about 15 days later in the middle of, middle of February, which means he was aware Michael Flynn did this wrongdoing and still wanted to get Comey to back off the investigation. Not to mention, um, Trump admitted the day after firing Comey that he did so because of the Russian investigation, and he did it to Russians in the Oval Office. Then he did it to Lester Holt. So, I mean, there's all this publicly available information that um, really puts Donald Trump in a legal bind when it comes to obstruction of justice, and not to mention the attempts to cover up the uh, details of the Trump Jr. meeting that Hope Hicks was involved in, um, not to mention just what he's doing now, with the, which is this Nunes memo, which is arguable that maybe Nunes might be caught up in this now as well, because this is a, it's a naked attempt, it's, it's plain for the eye to see that they are trying to go ahead and obstruct this investigation, and it's really playing into Russia's hands because um, they want us to they want us to have our faith undermined in U.S. institutions. So I think that McCain made that point well, and it's 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 sad to see it happen. See us a party sell out um, their country for short-sighted uh, political what they perceive as short-sighted political gain. So Ahmed. Rand has been doing a great job following all of the Russia stuff. And another thing you guys have really been doing is following week by week in Trump's presidency, writing pieces, sort of recapping the week for us. And I know you do the majority of that, correct? Yeah, I'll do this column called um, Unprecedented, yep. Can you talk us through how that's maybe helping you focus in the sort of crazy <laughs> political atmosphere we're in or what it's offering you in terms of perspective focus yeah um i would love to talk about that uh so you actually uh, caught me in the middle of writing one right now um it really you know i do one at the end of every week and it allows you to look back and reflect see the and and really see the patterns um over at the broad level i just wrote a, a year edition we went through all you know over 370 days of it up to the state of the union from the inauguration and you can see the patterns of his unhinged behavior, how they correlate with every mother move. Um, you could see exactly when um, Trump was the first request for documents from the White House um, in, in fall uh, by Mueller. Suddenly, that was around the time Trump started to you know, send out gifts of him attacking CNN. That's when he sent out gifts of him hitting Hillary Clinton with a golf club, which is also, you know, insane within itself. But you see him doing these things and you start to understand that he's very predictably unpredictable. You know, everyone calls him unpredictable, but you can almost guess to the T whether an indictment's going to come, whether a big new, you can tell, you can see after when a news story drops a few days later, that just the, a few days before when the reporter would typically reach out for comment, he sends out a tweet about that kind of what that story is going to be about. Like he's very, it's, he's very transparent. And that's one of the main things I've noticed. And he's also not, not very, uh, he's, he's very, uh, short-sighted in his thinking and it, and it, it's not as, uh, 
analytical as not everything's as calculated as as some people think. Um, some are just impulsive moves. But aside from his his uh, temperament, it, it's really just seeing how behind the scenes they've been doing these actions, um, just really weakening the State Department, um, going down the line and rolling back civil rights uh, protections and the Education Department, doing it in the Justice Department, um, and just kind of reducing our standing in the, in the world stage, that the TPP move is one that we'll, we'll, we're drawing from that and giving you know China, um, the Pacific's going to reverberate for, um, for decades. And there's just all these other, these other little things that are behind the, the, the yelling and the, and the tweeting um, that are occurring. I mean, the rollback to, to women's reproductive rights, you know, we focus a lot on, on women's rights. And it's just there's so much going on. So basically, one what I've really recognized while doc, you know documenting this, and my team, brilliant team of writers who just um, and editors and tech gurus, and they're just we just sit down and we discuss this every day and break down every story. And while documenting it, you just recognize that this is really actually unprecedented historically in the U.S. And it, it just it just give it adds the gravity of the situation and lets you recognize how important it is to uh, keep doing what you're doing, you know? Yeah, um, this series actually reminded me of uh, Elizabeth Drew, who was a journalist during Watergate, who kept um, sort of daily mm -hmm. journalistic writings, because obviously there wasn't the internet at the time for her to be posting them. But she has recently done interviews where she talks about how important of a resource it was for her post Watergate to be able to look back in small sections Mm -hmm. and see how it progressed. So I'm really glad that you guys are also doing that important work of kind of the minutia. And then we'll be able at the end of all this to put it together and really be able to look back and see yeah. how the progression came forward. So thank you so much for the series. I find it fascinating. Oh, yeah, no, no problem. Um, thank you. And I know um, another thing you guys have been writing a lot about is um, the direction with ICE and the raids that have been going on recently. Do you want to talk a little bit about your coverage and what you guys are reporting on? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're actually working on a new, um, we're working on a few pieces on it, actually. One where we're going to do some interviews um, with some people who, are, who have their communities affected by this. Um, and one um, that just kind of does the over, uh, one by, you know, our managing editor, Remy, is going to kind of look at the overall uh, effects of what's going on. And it's really, what we're seeing is ICE... Uh, picking up their um, deportations on a level we've never seen before. I mean, I know Obama did uh, deport more than any of the president, but he focused on criminals. Um, and, of course, there were some that fell through the cracks, and it, it was bad. But here every other week we're seeing some people who have been here for 40 years, um, and, you know, they're doctors, and we're seeing people who have their communities ripped apart. Um, that. You know, people, even some Trump supporters are regretting, are in these communities having their 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 local economies um, torn torn apart by just ICE coming in and taking away families, you know, dozens at a time. Uh, it's, they're not showing any uh, restraint. And it's, and I, what I'm really interested in is what happens to them after they get picked up. You know, this isn't, I, I'm seeing, I saw a report of someone in Florida who had died. Um, and, but of course it wasn't, it wasn't like they didn't, they didn't kill him, but it was the second person who died due to uh, pneumonia, uh, that person had died of pneumonia. 
and it was you know what are the conditions of these camps what i'm just really trying to figure out what is really going on because it's so it's going on so quickly that you it's hard to not draw historical parallels if, if you know what i'm saying and and I, and dylan i understand you have expertise in this i'd love to hear your your take on this yeah so i just want to sort of forefront this conversation with um one of the first raids that the trump administration conducted actually happened in my community so this has been something that's been on my mind a lot and feels very personal to me um the other thing though is you know with my background in studying the holocaust i definitely was very nervous especially in the beginning of like 2015, 2016, when people were like, oh, Trump's like Hitler. And there was, you know, the Hitler parallels were coming. I felt like fast and loose, especially early on. And I was, I wanted people to really think through what they were saying and what they're drawing with these political parallels and what they're trying to say. And I still feel like that is really important that we understand and think about what do we see as the value of these comparisons? And I'll be honest, I'm still a little bit on the fence about the World War II, Holocaust, Hitler parallels. You know, I, I always worry that we're not looking back at our own history, right? Because when I'm thinking about these ice raids, I, immediately I was thinking of the Japanese internment here in the United States, right? Like, how do we think about this in the context of our own history? And why do we feel like we need to then jump to the history of Europe or this other history, right? So I'm not saying I think those comparisons are wrong. I just really want to make sure as a whole and as a culture, we're really thinking through them. Dylan, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and even I find myself wanting to compare it more towards European history rather than our own history. Um, it was Holocaust Remembrance Day just a little bit ago, and I wrote a piece about how it's important to remember the Holocaust and learn from the Holocaust, um, because as we've seen time and again in Rwanda and Bosnia and, and other places around the world, it can still happen. Um, systemic murder can, can still take place in the 21st century. Um, and to your point about Hitler comparisons being fast and loose, I, I would generally agree with that. I think it's clear that um, in the year of the Trump presidency, it's been, it's made clear that Trump is not Hitler, um, but ICE very well may be the Gestapo. The way that they um, arrest domestic abuse victims in a courthouse, they go into hospitals and detain you know a ten year old girl who's receiving treatment. Um, they harass people that are U.S. citizens. They just happen to look like they may be undocumented. Um, and then, as Ahmed was saying, people are being detained, um, and two people have already died in 2018 in these detention centers. So the piece that I wrote was really focusing on the idea that the Holocaust didn't start with the gas chambers. It was a slow build. Um, and if we're not speaking up now, we don't really know where this could go. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I agree, and I, I understand the, uh, and that was one of the parallels I was, I was referring to as well, Dylan. Um, the our own history. I mean, the Japanese internment camps. Um, that that's one of the first things that comes to mind as well. And 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 it's definitely you know I do see everyone compared to uh, Hitler right off the bat. But you know, as Nathan says, you know, the concentration camps didn't start as uh, they didn't start as murder camps up front. But um, nonetheless, we're definitely not there. 
but at the same time, it's it's really, you know, aside from the the parallels, it's just really concerning to see the lack of compassion. And I watched a, uh, that's one of the lack of empathy, um, especially from the right, when it comes to this. I you know I saw you know Jimmy Kimmel did a, a video where he had Trump supporters meet you know DACA recipient, um, whose husband was a veteran who was an American, and uh, you know she, the DACA recipient is pretty much an American. She came here when she was two. And they were saying she should be deported, you know, to her face. Um, she had a daughter. And it's just the lack of discernment um, of who should stay, who've earned um, the right to stay here, some who have, pay, have paid more taxes than, um, you know, some Americans. Uh, and it's so that's really what, what I'm getting at here is that I just think that there's, a, you know, this it's really reducing the way people f see America. I mean, it's why tourism is probably down just because this inhumane treatment of, of all things other. Yeah. And I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that because we're not at potentially at like Hitler or Holocaust levels that we shouldn't be speaking up and defending people and calling out this cruelty, which is of course, extraordinarily concerning. I just want to make sure that when I just feel like these large epochal historical events sometimes just become shorthand and when they become shorthand we lose sort of the nuance of those events and the details and they just sort of become people become distanced from them because they just hear you know whatever they think it is or the, the only the small amount of details that they know and then they just aren't able to really rationalize what's in front of them no you're, yeah you're 100 percent right I agree. All right. So we, we've talked about a few uh, depressing topics. So uh, <laughs> I want to turn it around. Um, Ahmed, are you optimistic about anything in 2018? Yes. This is what I would love to talk about. I am very, very optimistic. I think, you know, on one that's one other thing I've noticed with this. Um, writing, you know, I'm president, working with you know, my team here. Uh, it's just there is a resurgent act, activism that I have not seen um, in my in my lifetime. And uh, you know, there's been, there was, of course, excitement around the Obama years, but Trump, you know, we, we've, what we're seeing is an, in, an indecent president that just sparked, you know, American greatness, in my opinion. I mean, we had the, the presidency started with millions of women marching. Now it's it ending with record number of women running for office. And it's, it, we are gonna, in my opinion, I really think, you know, of course, I'm optimistic. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm not overconfident about it because the work still needs to get done. But I think the House and I, I think um, if we play our cards right, much of the Senate, we, we can take back. It's, it's hard to remain optimistic in these dark times, but I think it's important that, uh, that we all do so. Um, okay. With that, thank you so much, Ahmed, for coming on. How can folks find you and Ramp Media if they want to keep up with you guys? Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so you can find us at Rant Media on um, Twitter. That's, uh, you know, at Rant Media, two Ts. Um, same on Facebook, uh, rant.com. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, come on come on and uh, and follow us. You'll get some, you know, unfiltered, hard-hidden truth. We really uh, we really want to make sure we're keeping keeping the American public informed. And, and thank you, Nathan, and, uh, and uh, Dylan, for all you, all you do as well. Um, I appreciate the work at Millennial Politics. All right. So, again, I'm Nathan Rubin. You can find me at Nathan H. Rubin on Twitter. Dylan, thank you so much as always. Thanks so much, Nathan. You can find me on MP Writing Away. You can also uh, stalk her on Instagram. <laughs> um, what's your handle again? At Dylan Without Bob.
Awesome. All right. So thanks for listening. Um, find us online, millennialpolitics.co. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at millenpolitics. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. Check out our store. We've got some really great merchandise. Um, and stay tuned. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. Thanks, guys.